Wild Lives by Phonographic. Hey there, I'm Rochelle and welcome to the Wild Lives podcast. Today we're chatting with great white shark expert and marine biologist Kelly Baker, who is an Aussie working and living in the Hansby area of South Africa. Now this area is like nowhere else on earth thanks to its large concentration of great white sharks. So before we start chatting to Kelly, let's take a quick look at Hansby and its amazing big fish. Of the 350 species of shark in the world, few capture the imagination like the great white shark. This incredible predator is known for its impressive size, with females growing to over 6 metres long, or 20 feet, and they can tip the scales at around 2 tonnes, which is about the weight of two Holden Barinas. They can clock speeds of 56 kilometres per hour, and they have no known natural predators other than humans, and occasionally killer whales. These sharks have serrated teeth that grow in rows, and when they lose a tooth, another replaces it. They are the perfect predator, and they've been around for millennia, with the great white as we know it today dating back 70 million years. In South Africa, visitors can get up close to these beautiful creatures aboard a marine discovery cruise or a shark cage dive experience with Marine Dynamics, who work hand-in-hand with the Dyer Island Conservation Trust out of Hansby, south of Cape Town. Kelly Baker is an onboard naturalist and marine biologist for Marine Dynamics, so she spends every day working with South Africa's great white sharks. I'm stoked to be catching up with her today here in Darling Harbour while Kel's on a quick visit here in Sydney. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Rochelle. Thanks for inviting me for a chat. We've got a lot to talk about, mate. Tell us, first of all, how did you end up working with sharks in South Africa? Um, I was born and raised in Sydney, and I guess um, with that, it's hard not to be drawn to the ocean and its inhabitants. Uh, I was also very lucky to be raised by or raised in a family that very much enjoyed being by the water and had a healthy respect for the wildlife. Uh, Why was it the uh, sharp-toothed? fishy Mm. friends that that caught my attention. From the moment I I found a shark book in my primary school library, I was hooked and the great white sharks really did take the top spot there. I was amazed by them. I thought they were incredibly powerful, um, but still so graceful. And I wanted to know more. And I was very lucky uh, to spend some time traveling through Africa. And I found myself in Cape Town. And I thought, you know, you're in an area that does uh, have some of the world's hotspots for the great white shark, so why not enjoy that whilst you can? And after that initial visit, uh, sometime later, I was invited back, and that pretty much was the start of my time there. So do you remember the very first time you saw a great white shark in Hansby? I actually do. Um, I can still remember the excitement. Uh, I must say I still get excited to see the sharks. But the first great white shark that I encountered in Hansby, I remember as a, a, it was a female great white shark, about three metres in length. And I, I still remember being in the cage, exactly the, the place where I was, just to, to the right side, and the, the shout of, of shark being called and, you know, popped under the water squinting through my mask trying to see where this shark was and then all of a sudden she just came gliding out of the the, the murky waters and I think what's stuck with me since that time and it's something I've really come to appreciate um, over the years more so than the sort of active behavior that you might see you know the jaws and the jumping was just how calm and graceful she was so my first encounter there was just a nice slow chilled cruise by and it really lets you I guess 
appreciate the animal for what for what it is so very much a fresh memory for me even after all these years well many people will look at a great white shark and see a killing machine what do you see Honestly, I can understand this. Sharks have had a rather one-dimensional reputation for some time, long misunderstood as dangerous, uh, indiscriminate killers that will eat anything in sight. I would say they probably have somewhat of a, a problem on their fins in regard to, to personal representation. I like a problem on their fins. <laughs> Copyright that one. Now, uh, you can see why, though. There's that magnitude of, of material out there. And that has cemented that that deep-rooted fear in the human mind for sharks. A perfect example, of course, is Jaws. Mm. Uh, You have this vengeful large shark that has taken a personal vendetta to the extreme and it's somewhat unnecessary and unwarranted. I see these uh, or this species as an animal to be admired but also respected. It is an apex predator and we must remember that it is a wild animal. But we must also remember and I think highlight that they are crucial in maintaining the health of a system. For example, the control of of prey populations. The area around Hans Bay's great white shark heaven, particularly around Van Dyke's Bay, Shark Alley and Dyer Island. How many great white sharks are in that area and why are they there? I think we might start with why they're there mm-hmm. and why Hansby is one of the world's hotspots for the great white shark. The area is a wonderfully diverse system. Um, you have the productive Atlantic waters supplying the area and with that you, you'll find a uh, very diverse array of life. And of course you're going to have your quantity of quality food coming into the area. Uh, So why our great whites are there? I would say, to put it simply, our great whites are there to to munch. So we have a 60,000-strong Cape Fur seal colony. We have an abundance of bony and cartilaginous fish moving through the area. And, of course, you have your marine mammals like your dolphins and whales that utilise the area. Do they eat dolphins? Uh, they are known to, to eat dolphins. Oh. Um, if I can get a little bit graphic here, we have conducted a necropsy on a three-metre female and her stomach contents revealed the skull and vertebrae of a common dolphin calf. Oh, yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. But what about the quantity? In regards to the numbers, this is, is somewhat of a, a hard question. The population estimates are there, but they're just that, they're estimates. But in regards to, to the regional estimates for Hansby, there have been a few done over the year, and they range anywhere from around 250 to 2,000 individuals. Wow. Now, the Dyer Island Conservation Trust produced a regional population estimate that was published in 2013, and we placed the numbers at anywhere between 800 to a thousand individuals unfortunately though it it is a concern at the moment that the numbers are decreasing along the South African coastline Uh, and this is thought to be due to varying stresses on the population example would be direct and indirect fishing stresses and environmental changes Mm. so the great whites in the area are always on the move. I read recently that there were sharks from Hansby and False Bay found as far away as Western Australia. Tell us a bit about that. Are they always going? They are. Your, your great white shark is a highly migratory species. 
The individual that you've just mentioned there that uh, went from Hansby to, to Western Australia, uh, her name is Nicole. Oh, and I think, yeah, I think Nicole is a, a really good example of uh, your, your migratory behavior of great white sharks. So her migration took her from Hansby. She was tagged there. And her tag popped off just off the coast of Western Australia. And then she was recited again in Hansby um, within nine months of the original tagging amazing eh? that is amazing but what she actually showed as well it was evidence for the first uh, transoceanic and intercontinental return migration for your great white sharks so she really outlined just how far they could move uh, but that also brings in a, a lot of concerns for the species because it opens up a, a lot of issues there uh, but it also showed uh, your population connectivity in regards to, to monitoring the animals what we what we can do telemetry does play a, a big part in that so you're what's telemetry it, it's pretty much the tagging and tracking of these these animals so along the south african coastline today uh, you have approximately around 100 acoustic tags that have been deployed on your great white sharks and that gives you an idea of their small scale, but due to communication and, and collaboration between teams along the coastline, a more wide scale movement of these animals. You also have approximately 60 white sharks that have been satellite tagged along the coastline too. So these programs allow the animals to be monitored. So it's only been in the last few years, uh, recent, that these, these sorts of movements have been discovered. That's pretty epic though, isn't it? Another thing that I found surprising is that contrary to what we see in the movies, I don't think sharks can make any vocal sounds. Am I right? You are completely correct. Uh, sharks cannot vocalise. They France? just no. They just do not have the organs necessary to produce vocalisations. You may find this species such as a swell shark, and this is a species that will fill with water underwater but then when you bring it above water it can fill with air and it's sort of a barking noise that you may hear from them but it's not actually a vocalization so whilst your your sharks cannot communicate vocally like many other animals can there's obviously some forms of communication with our sharks our, our great white sharks a lot of that's going to be through their sensory systems and also their movements and their their postures an example would be a change in the or posture of the shark, say the arching of the back in a feeding situation or perhaps when zoning in on a potential mate. So you just mentioned that the sharks actually move as part of their communication. How would they move and communicate while they were feeding? Uh, so in a, a feeding situation, it, it's uh, quite interesting. Your white sharks are, are generally thought to be a, a solitary species, but will come together in, in certain situations like a, a feeding aggregation. And that's when these sorts of behaviours are going to become apparent. Now, we're talking, I guess, getting more so into hierarchies and, and dominance as a large predatory species. It's thought that your more dominant individuals will get the, the right of way to feed first. And that's when you're going to see the sorts of postures coming into play more so as a, a warning or a, a sign to back off to the, the other, other sharks around. Would a, a female or a male be likely to be more dominant? In regards to the, the genders and which one would be more dominant, quite hard to say, but perhaps more so guide that towards the, the size of the animal. Mm-hmm. And, and generally with your white sharks, uh, your females are going to be the larger gender. They do display sexual dimorphism, and that's that one gender does have a feature that displays uh, or, or varies. And 
for these guys it's size and for them it is female is the larger one what about some of the more interesting behaviors you've witnessed uh, the, the behaviours I, I find quite interesting, a lot of the time it's about interactions and that could be intra or interspecies interactions. So in the odd occasion where we may encounter more than one great white shark um, coming in together, uh, being within close proximity to each other, that's when things can get quite interesting. So going back to what I, I said just before about, you know, your... Um, larger or more dominant individual getting right of way. I've seen some behaviours around the boat that might actually indicate otherwise. I'll never forget the the morning where we had a tiny juvenile white shark come in and bite and and successfully scare off a much larger individual. So that day, I don't think size was the dominating um, feature, more so a big attitude. Uh, So those sorts of interactions... um, your, your white sharks coming together and how they actually uh, behave around each other I find really interesting. Uh, in regards to your interspecies interactions, that would be, uh, for, for me, uh, the white sharks interacting with another species of shark, um, say a, a bronze whaler, how the dynamics play out there. Um, or it could even be with a, a marine mammal, say your seal. So uh, quite frequently we do see the seals and sharks in close proximity to each other and most people would assume that that's going to be a bad day for the seal. But much of the time it's not, believe it or not. And it, it's, it's interesting to see how the, the white shark reacts to the presence of the seal but more so how the, the seal actually reacts to that shark being around. Would the seal kind of still be playful? Like, would it, or would it be cagey? Like, how would it actually behave if it knows that it's not going to be eaten? What does that interaction look like? The seal uh, appears to be somewhat on guard, uh, very cautious. Um, you may find them sussing out the situation, perhaps keeping uh, distance from, from the shark, but always maintaining, say, sight or sensory mm. systems on that shark. It can sometimes get to the point where said seal will circle around and go to the less dangerous end of the shark. So there's been multiple occasions where we'll have a white shark casually patrolling, cruising, um, with a seal on its tail staying away from the pointy end. (laughs) Those funny little dudes. (laughs) I've also actually seen a few pics of jumping sharks from the Harnsby and False Bay area, which is False Bay is closer to Cape Town. But are these pics legit? Do sharks breach? The photos are legit. Um, Sharks can and do breach. I think this behaviour is commonly associated with your marine mammals more so. But it is known that there are a number of species that will breach. And your great white shark, I guess, is that, that species that highlights it. They are a very surface active species. And that, that breaching behaviour is part of it. Now, why do they do it? Majority of the time, it's going to be a feeding behaviour. So your, your white sharks are generally thought to be ambush predators. They sneak up on their prey. A quick burst of speed and they'll hit their prey on the surface. So we're, we're speaking mainly about your, your marine mammals, your, your mm. seals in particular. Mm. And that's when you're going to get the jumping or flying or breaching sharks. The Sharknado. There we go. <laughs> now, it can happen at any time of the year. It is something that is very much um, associated with South Africa. There's this breaching behaviour, your, your air jaws, etc. Um, a, a big association with the white shark population of South Africa. The... Areas that you can see it, like you mentioned, Hans Bay and False Bay and also Mossel Bay there. At 
the time of, of year where we'll see more so a um, increase in the feeding on the seals, that's when we're going to see perhaps more breaching behaviour, and that's going to be the winter season. Mm. But like I mentioned, it is a behaviour that we could see uh, at any time. You have to just be looking in the right direction at the right mm. time to, to see it. So you mentioned a moment ago about the feeding and the eating and that sort of thing. If you believe the mainstream media, you'd think the great whites pretty much only ate human beings. What do they eat and how do they hunt? I think it's a good idea to, to look at the, the statistics for this question. Uh, now, every year there is the International Shark Attack File Report that gets released through your uh, Florida Museum, and that outlines the previous year's um, shark-human interactions. Now, for 2018, uh, that report was released at the start of this year, and it reported 66 unprovoked recorded attacks worldwide. What? Okay. So that may sound like a, a big number, but... It doesn't. It sounds like a really tiny number to me. Well, if we look at the previous five-year annual average, it was 84. So it has actually dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in regards to those figures, in, in regards to human-shark interactions, there's a strong correlation to how many humans are in the sea. Mm. And that actually is on the increase uh, because we have people becoming more uh, interested in your water sports. Mm. And, of course, the simple fact that there just are more of us every Mm. year. So it's actually somewhat encouraging to see that even though one of the main factors that influence, you know, those numbers, the, the increase in people in the water, even with that going up, we're actually seeing the the number of attacks attacks go down. So if they're not eating us, what are they eating? <laughs> so we, we've touched on seals, but your your great white sharks actually have a very varied diet. They are opportunistic feeders, but can be a little bit fussy compared to to say some of your other other species of shark. Um, now. A lot of the the feeding or what they're feeding on has to do with where they are, so what's actually available to them. But also it appears uh, the individual animal, so perhaps their life stage, a juvenile versus an adult white shark. But uh, broadly so, we're looking at your marine mammals, so your pinnipeds, which would be your your seals, your sea lions, um, your cetaceans, so your dolphins and your, your whales, your bony fish, and your cartilaginous fish, uh, so say uh, small shark species. So they, they actually have a array of, of food sources that they would target. So you mentioned Nicole before. Clearly there are famous or well-known sharks in the area. Tell us about some of the ones that you've come to know during your time in Hansby, like the individual animals. I think we all have our favourite sharks, if I can say that. After years of working with them, um, it may sound silly, but you you can become not attached but very much interested in in an individual shark, you know, its growth and its health and seeing it back in the area. Uh, There are a a number of sharks that that I guess you could say are my favourite and uh, a number of these also happen to be favourites of our our team. Um, And this could be the general behaviour of the animal. Um, it could also be a physical feature. Uh, I think some of the main ones for, for our team and Hans Bay and, and, and myself, um, Slashfin would be a prime example. I would say he's probably one of the most well-known sharks in the area for, for many, many years now. 
And that shark is a adult male on last sighting, which was 2014. We put him at 4.5 meters. Very large male shark. Um, acts like a little bit of a celebrity. The encounters are, are very brief. He swims by. We see his very distinct fin, which is where he got his name from, slash fin. And then he's off again. Um, but he just has, I guess you could say, a presence to him and quite a history in our area. Mm. Hence, you know, there, there's even boats named after yeah. him. So Marine Dynamic Shark Cage Diving Vessel is actually Slash Fin. Um, in more recent years, though, the Rosies have become favourites to the Rosies. So there's a, two uh, female white sharks that we have known uh, from 2012 and 2013. And we've got uh, Big Rosie and Little Rosie. And the name comes from the white pigmentation that can be found on their dorsal fin. It's uh, completely natural. They're born with it. It can vary with their life, but with consistent monitoring of the, the, the mark, we can actually track the animal. The behavior that these females show around the boat is amazing. They're both very much active animals to 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 have around and they also are both uh study animals or recent study animals for for the dire island conservation team both females have had acoustic tags attached to them previously and little rosie has had one attached in just the last few months um and i think the last one i'd like to touch on is is probably mini nemo uh so we have a number of sharks that that fall under the name nemo and i think many people can probably guess why uh they all have uh some form of stunted or deformed uh, fin. So that is uh, their little pectoral fins. Uh, Mini Nemo is the the smallest and newest to the bunch. For me, he's a personal favourite because he's one of the first sharks that I encountered there in Hansby back in 2013. And at the time, he was he was a tiny juvenile, very small. Uh, the stunted fin looked okay at that time because he was such a small individual, but amazing behavior ambush approaches from underneath sort of behavior maybe we wouldn't associate with a a small juvenile just this active behavior but this attitude to him as well um sort of a a young boy misbehaving and then over the years where we've been able to to document this shark or log this shark quite frequently he's a true Hans buyer each year we probably document this shark two to four times and over the years he has grown immensely Uh, he looks very healthy every time we see him unfortunately his fin has not grown at all so it looks a bit disproportionate now Um, but the behavior is still the same he is always uh, great to see around the boat and I think a, a favorite for the team but also uh, the many visitors that we get through I think remember the shark if they have the pleasure of meeting him. He sounds like he's got a lot of charisma. (laughs) Orcas have actually been occasionally seen in the area. They are the apex predator of the ocean but I mean Great White's pretty gangster. How do they behave when the orcas roll into town? It's a it's a very interesting topic and and to be honest it's quite new or, or fresh for for us in in Hansby or, or South Africa. It has been witnessed elsewhere before in the world. Uh, in 2009, the Farallon Islands of the U.S. coastline documented this um, interaction a pot of orca coming in and predating on a, a white shark. And in 2015, it was also documented off the Neptune Islands, off the south coast oh. of Australia. So, you know, these are uh, two two areas that are considered hotspots for your great white shark. So 
We, of course, joined those ranks in 2017 when we had um, two orcas come in into the bay and disrupt our, our white shark population there. Um, in regards to orca sightings in Hansby, it historically is quite limited. Mm. Um, most of of our sightings, it's usually information and local knowledge from the fishermen in the deeper waters reporting them. Um, we have had a few occasions where we have encountered them. Prior to 2017, it was always outside of the bay. Then 2017, we had those two actually coming into the bay, into the shallow waters where we document a lot of our white sharks, especially in our summer months. Mm-hmm. And that year, we, we saw the influence, that the presence of a pod of orca that, that specialise in shark hunting can, can cause. So it's not all pods that will disrupt our sharks. It's specifically those shark hunters, it appears. Now, the really new or interesting thing with what happened to, to us in, in Hansby, it wasn't such a surprise to know that orcas could predate on a white shark, but we actually, it was a, a first to have the carcasses of the white sharks that were predated on actually wash up. So we were able to, to examine the, the white sharks, the carcasses, and uh, that was something new. In the weeks that followed from these events happening in Hansby, we experienced what we would refer to as a complete flight response from our white sharks in the area. So very quickly, we saw or experienced no no white sharks around um, the commercial diving vessels in the area, which of course was highly detrimental to the industry, the area itself, but also, of course, to the species, what was actually happening. But it wasn't a permanent thing and with time the sharks would come back and this continued on this orca visits to Hansby for some time but I'm happy to say 2019 has been a, a you know a fantastic year for white shark sightings in Hansby we have had you know the last three four months some um, beautiful encounters and we have had some individuals that we haven't seen for a year or two returning to the bay which is a great sign. With the um, when you found that the carcasses had washed up, had the orcas eaten the liver or because I, I know like orcas will always go for like a humpback's tongue. I think what do they take from a shark? Yeah, so it, it's known that orcas can be highly specialised hunters in which food source they're, they're targeting, what what the actual target is, but also what they take from that target. And with our sharks, it's it is their liver. You're right. Mm. Um, so the liver in your sharks. Um, it's got a, a number of functions. It functions like ours does. It's a filtration organ, but it's also responsible for their buoyancy. So our sharks don't have a swim bladder. They rely on a um, dense oil in the liver to help with that buoyancy. Hence, you've got a very oily, very um, dense, energy-rich, high nutritional organ for the orcas to to take advantage of yeah they are so smart that's crazy now you work on the cage dive vessel for marine dynamics which means that you see people on your vessel every day facing their fear of sharks that would be pretty interesting to observe like do you see people changing their attitudes right before your eyes i do i do very much so and it is a favourite part of the, the job for me. You know, in regards to these commercial trips, you know, people going out to be introduced to, to a great white shark, it's amazing to, to see the perceptions change. Um, everyone has an idea about what they expect to encounter or, or how this animal should behave based on preconceived notions from what they've seen or read or watched. 
it's amazing to to hear and we probably hear this multiple times per trip just how different the animal is compared to what they thought it was going to be you know you hear words like graceful and magnificent and it's so relaxed it's so beautiful and it's very important to to have this this change in the the perceptions because like i said earlier these guys don't have a great image um, and it's very hard to to do any sort of protective work around a species that has a bad image so these changes in in people the idea of what white sharks are it's fantastic to see and that is not just going to stop there they're going to to go on and talk to their family and friends say look no you know these animals are not these um, scary monsters that are out to eat us they're they're really just a, a majestic predatory fish that really has no interest in us people do walk away from one of your trips and want to actually do something to help i know i did how can the everyday person get amongst it and take steps, even if they're not going to South Africa, how can they help sharks? Whilst uh, white shark protection and awareness has come far in recent years, there's still a long way to go. And believe it or not, there are things that everyone can do to help with this, whether that be indirectly or directly. Uh, I think we all know that your natural world is uh, suffering to some extent, uh, currently and it's something a- as simple as let's use the mantra reduce reuse recycle those small things that we can do that will ultimately benefit the whole system and of course your sharks um, you could also look at uh, decreasing your consumption of seafood but if you you don't like the idea of that you can also uh, look at completely boycotting any of your shark products now i'm not talking about shark fins okay I'm talking about your products that you will find in your everyday pharmaceutical and cosmetic goods. So if you're to to decrease, say, your consumption of seafood or limit or completely wipe out your use of those shark products, you're not feeding the demand of that market and essentially that will, will help in time. And these are things that you can easily implement into your daily life that in turn will have a effect on the survival of this species. If if the chance arises, um, supporting a shark protection uh, organisation like the Dyer Island Conservation Trust is a fantastic way to become involved. And this helps with um, the work that's being done, uh, your research uh, to gain more knowledge on the species and therefore push legislations at a higher level. And if you ever do get the chance and you ever find yourself in South Africa, please come visit us in Hansbai at Marine Dynamics and we would be more than happy to introduce you to our sharks. Being able to to see this species I think is a a big turning point for people and also not just encountering or observing the animal but learning more about it. Uh, Knowledge is power and so is spreading the word and I think that's one of the best things people can do um, is get the word out there whether that be about the the stresses on the species or or just the misperceptions that are surrounding the species Absolutely and agree 100% and can't wait to come back to see you again for round three in Hans Bay Thank you Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. It's been awesome to catch up. Hope to see you next year in Hansby. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Rochelle. Isn't she a legend? Now, if you would like to find out more about Kelly's work with the Dyer Island Conservation Trust and Marine Dynamics, head to www.sharkwatchsa.com 
and to www.dict.org.za. I'll also post those links direct to fornographic.com so you can click straight through. In the meantime, stay wild. I'll catch you next time. Wild Lives by Fornographic. Check out our wildlife photo gallery at fornographic.com and on Instagram at fornographic. Thank mm-hmm. you.